historians will mark the end of one era and mark the beginning of another. T-E-T-C. The end times continue. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the end times continue record. Uh, rec- uh, ah. God damn it. I always stumble on it. I don't know why. <laughs> Recording on this, the 12th of March. Um, boy, howdy. I am Dino, and you are. And I am Ace, again this week. It. Fucking scuffed. Fucking scuffed. I'm yeah. not doing it again. It's staying. Yeah, no, no. We're leaving this in. We're leaving this in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was take one, but still. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's it stays fine. in. Yeah. It's fine. Um, yeah. Man, uh, geez, it's the it's already March the twelfth. I have my MPRE coming up. I have to take an ethics test. I'm gonna be tested on my Ooh. ethics. There we go. <laughs> what kind of question? Or I don't know if you can answer this, but what kind of questions do they usually ask you on these types of questions? Is it very like uh, like how esoteric and hypothetical are they, or like what? what What's some of the sampling? So, um, everything in 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 testing uh, law students, everything's a hypothetical. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so everything's presented as a hypothetical. But what it is is th- they present hypotheticals that implicate the rules, the the ethical rules for lawyers. Uh, I believe oh, it's right. based on the federal ethical rules. I don't think they have state specific ones, even though we do have state specific ethical rules. For example, in many states, you are not allowed to fuck a client. In Texas, not the case. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think the take, I I think the reason for that is like you can't control how people meet. You know what I mean? So I I think there's a, like there's a fine reason for it, which is like you can't, you can't control how people meet. People, you know, people are going to meet and and, and enter relationships in all kinds of ways. It's, It's one of the reasons that HR departments allow for relationships at work you just have to report it and that person's not allowed to be your boss and it's a mess but they have to allow for it because you can't control how people meet um i think there's a similar thing with the texas bar where it's just like we can't control how people meet a a a partner a significant other if you will um and but the reason it's it's not allowed in most places is because they don't want people using sexual favors as currency (laughs) right (laughs) um (laughs) Which is also fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, so so that's what it is. They just implicate the rules. Um, and as long as you know the rules of practice and a lot of it is about how you handle money. So this is something that I had no idea about. And a lot of people don't know about. But the way that a lawyer has to handle money, like like you pay lawyers weird. You pay lawyers different <laughs> than the way you pay a lot of other service workers. Um mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, the reason that is, is because attorneys have to put money from the client in a particular kind of escrow account. Uh-huh. And you're only allowed to spend the money out of that account on the case. Like there's a, like the, the, you, you basically, when you're paid by a client outside of a retainer, when you're paid by a client. You have to hold that money in escrow because you're holding the client's mm-hmm. money and you're spending the client's money on the cost of litigating the case. Right. You're not paying yourself out of it. Right. So there's a there's there's all these rules about the specific. It's called an IOLTA account in Texas, and and it's a specific kind of account that you set up with the bank to uh, 
to hold that money in escrow. And I was looking into where the um where the uh the interest on that account actually goes. Because I was thinking, like, do, does that become the client's money? Is the interest on the client's money the client's money? It should be, ideally. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, does it go to me? Do I get the interest on that account? No. Um, the state of Texas gets it. The Texas bar oh. gets it. How interesting. Yeah, it's, it, it goes <laughs> to fund now. It goes to fund legal aid. To which... Okay. Uh, okay, fine. Right? Like, there's... <laughs> all right, <Sure>. fine. <laughs> if we want to fund right. legal aid that way, fine. But I, I, I am just like... Eh, it seems strange to me that you're telling me how the interest on the client's money gets spent. That's just odd. <laughs> but in any case, yeah. yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you a question. Yeah. Well, first, how have you been? I, I, I totally skipped over caring about your well-being. Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've been pretty good, but I, I think uh, I'll have more to say once I think uh, what you're going to ask me is what you're going to ask me. So, oh, uh, yeah. So... All right, uh, five minutes starting now. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the raid came out in Destiny. Yes. Now, yeah. I went on the morning of the raid race, the morning that it began, I went on at about 11, yeah. 11.30 or so, so late late yeah. morning. And it was almost over. Uh, it yeah. It took two and a uh, half hours for the world's first team to get through it. Yeah. So for a little setup for people who are maybe are completely unaware of video gaming or MMOs in general, right? Rating is like a big deal, right? You get together with your friends. Uh, it's an in-game activity, conflict. yeah, they say call it. In, yeah, an in-game activity, and it's uh, an end-game activity. And you essentially get your group together, and it's the hardest challenging content in the game, right? That's the whole idea of the raid. Uh, in well, any, it's supposed in any to be. MMO. Like, like I mean, here's be, the thing. Yes. Is, is it harder than Grandmaster Nightfalls? I don't think so. Like, um, I still think this was harder than Grandmaster Nightfall just by a little bit, but it was certainly easier than a lot of like day one raids. Well, you also um, played in, in contest mode, though. Yes, yes. OK. Oh, sure. Yes, yes. So, yeah, in con. So for people to give even more background, the first <laughs> day a raid comes out in Destiny, uh, it is it is under what's termed a contest mode, which means that you are essentially your stats and your gear, your power level for your character is locked at a certain specific rate. And you cannot go over this no matter how much gear you stack, no matter how like powerful your armor is, you're, you're capped at a certain level and so are the enemies. So and it's, it's like uh, 15 below, I think, was it 15 it's or 20, 20 below yeah. the it's actual 20 below? Yeah. Yep. It's 20 below. So, um essentially like it's meant to be like really challenging um and i remember so we went into the raid um and and, you know the first day a raid comes out it's always very chaotic because it's like no one knows what to do so everyone is just kind of throwing themselves up against the wall for uh, context for that there are puzzle mechanics in destiny raids that you have to figure out there's no guide on day one like you like you don't know what to do when you enter a puzzle room in a raid in destiny yeah and so uh, on day one so you have to figure it out it's just experimentation now if i'm not mistaken some of the raid mechanics leaked Mm -hmm. ahead of the raid i heard about this yes i heard about this i didn't know about the leaks until well i knew there were some leaks but i didn't know about the mechanic leaks until after afterwards so if people knew about i don't and i still don't know what exactly got leaked but if, if enough information got leaked 
that would certainly be an advantage to a lot of groups like going in like no right a lot of time is I spent assume figuring out all of the over. like world's first twitch rivals teams read those leaks like i i, I wouldn't to have. be surprised yeah i wouldn't be surprised if that was the case but i remember so there were i believe there's four main encounters in the raid if i remember correctly um yes uh, it's a four and, encounter raid um yes um, I think each encounter like has a, a puzzle of... mechanic, but there's a big puzzle mechanic right before the third encounter. <laughs> yes. So there's, yeah, there's th- um, four encounters. There were, well, one of the, I mean, there's a mechanic in every single encounter. There is like a puzzle mechanic, but like um, um, there was only, there was one room, one encounter where the mechanic was actually slightly different and new. Um, and that was kind of like a roadblock challenge when, when we got there. Was that the but, second um, one where it was the gaps in between the like the stages? No, no. It was the first boss fight. Um, so that's, there was a that's room. the third encounter with the planets? The, thir- the, the fir- Yeah, the, yep. The first in boss fight is the third encounter. All right. Um, but, but the one with the gaps, um, that one actually uh, took my group a while because, and it wasn't that we didn't understand it. It was that the the stupid physics were broken, <laughs> um, and what I mean by that, what I mean by that is, so how I'm going to try to explain this in a very like layman's terms. Essentially, you you have you have certain things where like two play, you have this chasm in the center, and then you have uh, two sides, right? You split players up three three on each side, and then uh, one you have one person on on the left side grabbing a buff, and the person on the one person on the right side grabbing a buff, and you have to deliver the buffs to little nodes, right? Um, and you have to ping pong essentially back and forth across the chasm. Um, the two players like they have to keep swapping back and forth like ping pong balls um, onto different sides, and even ver- even um, vertically upwards. Uh, oh my and, god. Um, yeah, and so it's really and you're you're time limited to do this, and you have these little like um, bouncer things that you have to activate with a switch, and then they'll propel you to the other side. Well, sometimes they won't propel you far enough, or they'll propel you so fast that you'll slam into a wall and die. Oh uh, my god! And then, and then if you do this, well, the, the good chance is the whole thing you have to start over on that mechanic. Um, which you know, it's it, that part was sort of frustrating because it's like everyone knew what we were doing. Uh, you know, there was a, you know. It, it, we got confused a little bit sometimes, but mostly it was just the mechanics were kind of buggy. That's kind of what point. sucks in some of the puzzle-based mechanics of some of those raids, and it's happened. Yeah. I actually don't remember it happening very much in in like Vow of the Disciple, which was which is an amazing raid. I think it's a gold standard yeah. raid. But um, yeah. what sucks is when it's nobody's fault. Right, it's just the game. It's, it's just, just like, the game fucked yeah. you up, and it's yes. now it's just like shit. I, I can't even. I can't even suggest that we switch roles or anything like that. There's no problem to be solved right. here. It's just the game fucked it's just up. Like, hmm, is, is this thing going to either not propel me far enough or is it going to kill me by slamming me into a wall? Find out this time, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. It's um, just like, it is, it is very like RNG like that. But once we got past that, uh, it was a lot less um, stressful sort of thing because it was like most of, I enjoyed the raid. I thought it was like easier than most day one raids personally. Um, this is the issue but, that I had yeah. was that the raid, the world's first team finished the raid in two and a half hours. Roughly. Yes, which is very short for a day one. It's very short, but I don't think it's that much shorter than some other raids like um, 
Uh, Deepstone Crypt, I think, was like a two and a half hour finish, wasn't Deep it? Stone, Deepstone was very short, too. Yeah, that was about two or three hours, I think. Um, but that's also not a raid people point to as like an amazing, beautiful, amazing, incredible raid. Like a like a like a like mechanically intense and and well-made raid. People enjoy it. I right. enjoy it. We ran it. I enjoy I, it. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. not it's not Vow of the Disciple. No, and it's not Last Wish, uh, which is uh, uh, for people who don't know the Last Wish raid. Um, there was a twenty-four hour raid race. Um, thousands and thousands of teams tried to d- do that raid in the first twenty-four hours. Only two teams got through. Yeah, and they and I think it took longer than twenty-four hours, didn't it? Didn't they have to extend it? Uh, well, some a lot of the teams. Uh, I don't think they extended it that time, but a lot of the teams um, did not. Just did not get it at all. Like only two teams got the actual like emblem. Uh, yeah, for beating it. That, that is a notoriously yeah. difficult raid. And if if yeah. you're not like, it has to be. You have to be on a team of six sweaty players. Like casuals yes. can't play that raid. They just can't. Yeah, especially on contest mode uh, when you. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. No. <laughs> uh, so we're but, we're over our five but, minutes, but I do want a, just a quick review of yeah. the raid. What did you think of it? Um, I actually enjoyed it. Uh, I so when when we were on the second encounter, which was the chasm, which is what we were talking about, how the mechanics were buggy. Um, that's when my team uh, my team was like, "Hey, someone just beat it," and we we're like, "What?" <laughs> we were we were kind of we were kind of shocked that someone beat it that soon. But uh, actually, like the mechanics, so. I do not like the first boss fight. The, so the first boss fight is just very generic and kind of meh, but the mechanics were cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like the fight, okay. like the damage fight itself was just like, eh, you know, this is just okay. The, I didn't really, you know, the boss didn't look that, you know. Oh, it's the one where, uh, he kind of looked the boss out of glows and you have to stand on, it's yeah. a plate mechanic, which Destiny's, Destiny yeah. raids are famous for plate mechanics. It's caretaker, yeah. basically, except you have it to go to a, caretaker. you have to go to a particular plate based on the way that the boss is empowered at the moment yes uh I, like i like the room mechanic in that fight i really do i i thought it like the i don't want to sp- i don't know if we want to go into spoilers too much in the raid or anything like that but the, the the mechanic in there and some of the visual like elements in that room for the boss fight were very good i i really did enjoy that good um the the boss itself was just kind of meh though but i did the final encounter i do really like um, I thought it was I thought it was very cool. I watched um, as to crosses uh, videos playing uh-huh. through it, and um, it made me feel way better about usually doing ad clear. <laughs> yes, as to cross was on ad clear for most of his. Um, yeah. And it was like I okay, was the guy cool. running the mechanic. I oh, was really? the, every and every well, you're a hunter. I was you have runner. to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're uh, well beyond our five minutes. That's almost okay, ten minutes yeah. of Destiny talk. <laughs> but yeah. fine raid. How'd it look? Uh, I think it's visually beautiful. I thought it was visually See, beautiful. That's what I'm most excited um, for. Yeah, it reminded me of Garden of Salvation, actually, a lot of mm. times. Garden of Salvation, a uh, raid I've never completed because we couldn't get past the part with the where you have to carry the balls through the jumping puzzle. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very difficult. Um, so... You know, there's a there's an interesting thing. I'm going to try this. There's an interesting thing about Destiny. There's a game mode called Gambit. You know what you have to do in Gambit in order to... You have to... You know exactly where... You have to deposit? You have to deposit. You have to bank moats in Gambit. You have to deposit moats into a bank. Yeah, you do. 
And there was wow, you know where else that story. happens? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like two IPAs deep. Um, yes, the there was a, a a bank collapsed in the United States, which is not a super common occurrence. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the last time this happened was 2008, and it was it was um, not some piddly little bank either. It was uh, right. it was like I think the 16th largest bank in the U.S. Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. Um, am I right on that 2008 thing? Do, yeah. do you do, can you recall anything uh, between now and then? Yeah, I'm trying to. I was trying to think, and I think you're correct. Uh, if if there was, I don't remember it. Um, but yeah. yeah, no, 2008. I think might have been the last time a bank actually like well it went well. Uh, we're out of money. <laughs> yeah, we don't exist anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanted to give some background on Silicon Valley Bank. So this is a bank that was established 40 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things that they do. They are the primary bank that startups bank with. So, like, if you are a startup tech company and you get all your venture capital funding, right? You have your Series A for funding. All these angel investors come in. They invest in Mm -hmm. your company, venture capital. uh, You take that stack of money and you put it in Silicon Valley Bank. That's just what you do as a matter of course. Mm -hmm. You put it all in Silicon Valley Bank and, you know... If there's one thing we know about tech bros, and if there's one thing that we've learned from the one tech bro dude who tried to make an AI lawyer and got threatened by the Bar Association for the state he was in. <laughs> um, <laughs> if there's one thing we know about tech bros, it's that they're not great at administrative tasks. <laughs> and so these guys generally, as a matter of sort of course, they're not going to diversify the accounts that their cash is held in. Mm-hmm. This is a problem because the FDIC only uh, insures accounts up to $250,000 per depositor per account. So you can have one depositor with two accounts up to $250,000, or you can have two depositors on one accounts uh, on one account, and that will be $500,000, right? But, but it's per depositor per account, $250,000. Well, there was a run on the bank. (laughs) (laughs) Which feels like a ridiculous thing to say. Right. Because it's the only context that I ever heard about a run on a bank was in talking about uh, 1929, 1930. The the actual collapse of the financial system in the United States that, that, that was one of the precipitating causes of the Great Depression. Yeah. Um... So it feels anachronistic almost to have a run on a bank. Right. Yeah. When you said when, when most people hear run on the bank, that's what the, they usually think of the Great Depression. Right. You have the, the classic stories of people running to get their money out. Yeah. Um, so there, there was a run on the bank. The bank did not have the liquid assets to cover the withdrawals. And. By the way, I, okay, so I'm, I'm actually going to slow that down a little bit because there are some people for whom this is... I'm not great with financial stuff, mm-hmm. um, but there are some people for whom that sentence alone is a little confusing, so I want to slow that down a little bit. Um, sure, yeah, yeah. The bank, when you withdraw money from the bank, they have to, of course, have the cash to cover that withdrawal, right? They, they, they have to be able to give you that money out of your right. account. 
But banks do not keep all of your money. If you're listening to the show, you probably already know this, but I, I would feel bad if I didn't start from zero. Um, it, it, they do not keep all of the money in your account in cash in a vault. Like they, they don't have all of their deposited, their depositors money in cash in a vault. So you go there and they give you some of the cash they have on hand, but they do not have enough cash on hand. If you were to close out your entire account, they could probably accomplish that if you're an individual, but let's say you're a company with mm -hmm. multiple millions of dollars in your account. You tried to close out your account and take, walk away with your cash. They might not have it all. So that's kind of how that works, right? That, that they, they mm -hmm. have a certain amount of cash on hand. And the rest is usually held in investments. Right. Uh, or, or they'll, they'll take out, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll work through the, uh, the, um, the fed and, <laughs> uh, through that process to, to try and maintain their liquidity over the next period of time. But what happened was they did not have the liquid assets on hand. They did not have the cash on hand to handle all the withdrawals. And what started, what started happening was, all of the tech bros were taking their money out of the bank because their venture capital investors were telling them to. Mm. There was a guy on Twitter who posted sort of his experience with this. He runs three companies in Silicon Valley. And he tried to get all the money out of Silicon Valley Bank on one, in one day because the group chat full of other people who also <laughs> run companies in Silicon Valley that he was a part of were saying it had to be done. And so they, there is an argument to be made that the tech bros, because they're all linked up in these group chats and shit created the run on the bank. <laughs> Right, right. It's just like, oh, well, I'm going to get out because he's going to get out. And then you create this whole like massive panic. It's like, oh, shit, we better get our money out before the whole thing collapses. You exactly. Know? Uh, and then it's just, yeah. And so it precipitates the collapse. Right. Now, I, it's I, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, may, you know, maybe this wouldn't have happened if everyone just did not, you know, bring this up. But, exactly. you know, maybe it would have too. But you know, it's interesting to think about that. Hey, yeah, maybe this, maybe this actually did happen as fast as it did because everyone was like, "Oh my god, uh, I got to pull my money out because he's going to pull his money out, and then he has to pull his money out because the other person's going to pull their money out." Yeah, uh, you know, mass hysteria. Yep, dominoes. It's just dominoes falling, uh, and it's partially because all these guys are talking to each other, and so it's instantaneous. That's the thing. <laughs> right. This is the first time this has happened in the age of the internet. Um, I should say in the age of social media, because the internet was around right. in 2008, but there wasn't the same kind of communication in 2008. Right, right. Um, so this occurred, this occurred, it was, it was very funny, actually. I saw um, they did a WAN show, I believe, uh, Linus, uh, Linus Sebastian of Linus Media Group, mm -hmm. Linus Tech Tips. Yeah. They were doing a WAN show, I believe the night this happened. And he had just oh. invested in a company and he called them oh. live on air because oh, I, yeah, I saw not, that in my YouTube feed. I haven't watched it yet. That's dude, funny. It's so funny. He's sitting there and you see his realization on his face that, that he just invested in a tech company. And so he calls them immediately. and He's like, you guys don't bank with SVB, do you? 
And the guy on the other end of the phone, whose voice was not, of course, didn't appear on air, but I, I assume he said, no, we don't, because Linus goes, oh, okay, good. Do you know what's going on? And the guy apparently said no, and Linus goes, okay, so you haven't been on the internet today. <laughs> but it was very oh, funny. funny. But um, So you said you had done a little bit of looking into this. Is there anything in particular you wanted to bring up? About this um, collapse, because I was going to start going through sort of background and what precipitated it. Yeah. But if there's anything in particular you want to bring up, I don't want to skip it. From from what I understand, and, and this was told to me by a friend, but I don't I don't have the reports right here. Um, apparently, a lot, I do think it's of no. Apparently, a lot of um, government officials in Florida uh, use SVB. Apparently, and uh, from what I understand, a lot of those uh, government officials did not get paid on Friday. So there is good news. <laughs> yeah you had you had mentioned that before we started recording and i think part of what that could be is that there's a lot of payroll companies that banked mm-hmm. with svb and 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 a payroll company's operating account is what they pay people out of uh, you'll uh, uh an entity an organization a business will hire mm-hmm. a payroll company to pay out their employees and it's just like asking a third party to pay your employees and so there's an operating account there and the payroll company will pay out your employees um, mm-hmm. and then you'll pay them back or you pay them ahead of time, either way, however it works. Um, but a lot of payroll companies were using SVB. So there were a lot of payroll companies that couldn't cut checks to employees yeah. because the money was gone. Mm-hmm. What a mess. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's that, that alone is kind of fascinating, but yeah. I do have a, um, I pulled up a background piece from Bloomberg about this that I wanted to, because there's a lot of things that precipitated this. It's not just, mm-hmm. it's not just that the tech bros in a group chat decided to run the bank, which did mm-hmm. happen, but it wasn't right. only that. Um, okay. So this is from Bloomberg SVP, SVB's 44 hour collapse was rooted in treasury bets during the pandemic. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm beginning from later in the story. SVB's collapse okay. into Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation receivership came suddenly on Friday, following a frenetic 44 hours in which its long-established customer base of tech startups yanked deposits. But its fate was sealed years ago, during the height of the financial mania that swept across America when the pandemic hit. U.S. venture capital-backed companies raised $330 billion in 2021, almost doubling the previous record year before. Now... This is, I'm I'm stopping here. This was an important thing to remember. The tech market during the pandemic was, it was a boondoggle. If you were, if you were running a tech company during the pandemic, you were raking it in because Mm -hmm. everybody was taking that time to upgrade their equipment, either because they needed to, they were working from home, whatever it was. Like, like, and, and trying to find platforms to operate on. Like, this was, everything shifted to digital. So, the pandemic was an absolute boondoggle for tech. Mm-hmm. And what people seem to not really, I, I shouldn't say this, because uh, it's incorrect. Tech is one of those things that, over time, has become a more and more durable sort of good. 
even mm-hmm. if it's a service. So if your customer base, let's say you're running like a payroll company, for example, or let's say you run a software company that handles payroll. Yeah. Your customer base would have exploded during the pandemic. But Oh yeah, 100%. But you also maxed it out. There's right, no right. more yeah, opportunity for growth beyond what you already right. got during the pandemic. Right. So what happened sort of this year, or this year and late last year is a massive slowdown. In fact, Intel posted a loss. Um mm-hmm. a massive slowdown in tech and and in that market generally people found their platform and they're staying so there's no cycling to be had as far as more people signing up for stuff or or stealing people's customers from a you can't do it everyone's happy where they (laughs) are people who bought new computers and stuff well i mean they're those are good for five years minimum yeah yeah so there's a massive massive slowdown in tech which has caused a an, an intense restriction in tech investment over the last little bit, which is mm-hmm. bad for a bank like SVB that makes that its bread and butter is taking all that venture capital money and just holding it and investing it. So in any case, uh, back to the story. Sorry. No, no um, I think that's very interesting. Though. Like that's, that's a very interesting piece of information that kind of supplements this. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think it's a precipitating cause of this collapse. Yeah. Um, uh, Kathy Woods ETFs were surging and retail traders on Reddit were bullying hedge funds. <laughs> Diamond hands, my man. Uh, crucially, the Federal Reserve pinned interest rates at unprecedented lows. And in a radical shakeup of its framework, it promised to keep them there until it saw sustained inflation well above 2%, an outcome uh, that no official forecast. SVB took tens of billions of dollars from his venture capital clients and then, confident that rates would stay steady, plowed that cash into long-term bonds. In doing so, it created and walked straight into a trap. Becker and other leaders of the Santa Clara-based institution, the second largest U.S. bank failure in history behind Washington Mutual in 2008. Yeah, that's okay. So that's what I was thinking of in 2008. We'll have to reckon with why they didn't protect it from the risks of gorging on young tech ventures, unstable deposits and from interest rate increases on the asset side. Outstanding questions also remain about how SVB went about navigating its precarious position in recent months and whether it erred by waiting and failing to lock down a $2.25 billion capital injection before publicly announcing losses that alarmed its customers. Investors and depositors tried to pull $42 billion on Thursday, leaving the firm with a negative cash balance of almost a billion dollars. Still, decades of declining interest rates that started in the early 1980s when SVB was founded over a poker game made it heresy among market pros to suggest bond yields could climb without roiling the economy. As it turns out, American consumers are doing just fine with jobs aplenty. It's banks, especially smaller ones, that are flying below the Fed's radar. And now looking like the weakest links, SVB stands as the most extreme example uh, of how Wall Street has been blindsided by the dynamics of the global economy after the COVID-induced shock. So what happened was, when interest rates were low, they put all their money in long-term investments, long-term bonds, things like right. that. Right. What happens when interest rates go up? <laughs> right. Those bonds yeah. become valueless. 
Yes. Because the interest rate now is so much higher than what those bonds are earning. Right. That's why they posted a massive loss when they were trying to, uh, they were posting these losses, scaring people. Everybody was trying to pull their money out of the bank. They started sloughing off assets. They sold their bond portfolio. (laughs) They sold their stock portfolio. They started selling assets like crazy to try and raise the capital to cover the withdrawals. And -hmm. they couldn't do it. They absolutely could not do it. But it was the low interest rates that they jumped in on that precipitated this collapse. Now, would it have happened without the tech bros in the group chats? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? You know, it's a perhaps they just hastened it, but uh, it might have happened, you know, no matter what. Yeah, I I suspect it would have. Because they they put so much in those long-term bonds. Like, okay, this is, this is an interesting thing about this bank too. I don't know how they operate, but I do know that for some businesses, especially local businesses dealing with regional banks, you will develop a personal relationship with a banker, a guy Mm -hmm. who works there. (laughs) And, One of the things that they'll do, or this can, of course, be done by your accounting office or whatever you have, is split up your accounts such that you might have $500,000 in multiple accounts, right? Mm -hmm. Or at multiple branches. So that if there is a collapse, if something does go dramatically wrong, you're at least half your capital is protected. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, it, it seems so weird to me that they didn't have a system like this operating there. This was um, at SVB, some 97% of their deposits were uninsured. Ooh. That means 97% of their Ooh. deposits, for people listening, 97% of their deposits were over the $250,000 cap on insurance. There were accounts there that must have had millions of dollars in them. In single accounts. Totally unprotected. And I'm, I'm flabbergasted as to, as to how that occurred. I can't think of it outside of the context of... I can't, I can't think about it without considering the fact that fucking tech bros suck at this shit. Right, yeah. <laughs> they don't think about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, Right. But it it's it's it was when I saw that number it blew my mind. How do you how do you how do you as a business owner not hedge against that? You know the cap on FDIC insurance if you're a business owner, you have to. Like you must or you shouldn't be operating a business. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> So how do you, how can you possibly, and that's, and I'm sure, just to clarify, I would bet that most of the individual accounts were well below the insurance rate. (laughs) But the business accounts are huge. Right, exactly. You're going to have, you're going to be way over the cap. Well, 
so that is kind of what precipitated that. It was the they they really they drove everything into these long term bonds. And then once interest rates crept up again, they didn't creep up. They rocketed up. Once that happened to try and to, the, the Fed describes it <clears throat> as trying to cool off the economy or slow down the economy. If the economy is mm-hmm. running hot, right, they want to cool it off. So they'll raise interest rates. Right. Um, right. Right. It's a fucked system because it's it's effectively you're applying your, what you're what you are inducing is the calculation problem. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Interest rates should be set by the market, not by the fucking right. Federal Reserve. And when they get artificial, like, yeah, this is classic, like, you know, uh, classic uh, Austrian business cycle theory where it's like, yeah, if you are if you are artificially lowering or raising the interest rates, you are setting people up for failure. Like 100 percent. Yeah, because they're going to invest based on what the interest rate is, is now. And then when you artificially raise it or lower it to some absurd degree, people are going to mismanage their own resources. It affects more than just that. There are. um, Oh, yeah. Not many people know this, but there is a in 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 legal judgments. There's what's called post judgment interest, which Mm -hmm. begins accruing after you. after, let's say you get a judgment, but you're going to appeal it, okay? You can bond that judgment. You can deposit money with the court to bond the judgment, but that judgment will still accrue what's called post-judgment interest. In Texas, that interest is pegged to mm. the prime rate. So, so it affects more than just... Like, the, the, the prime interest rate affects more than just mortgages, for example. Or, or the, the, well, what it's meant for, which is the rate at which banks can borrow money. It affects more than just that. It affects mm-hmm. things like post-judgment interest on, on, on court cases. And so there, there's a calculation sometimes, depending on what the interest rates are, there's a calculation sometimes about whether you want to appeal a loss in civil court based on how much it's going to cost you in post-judgment interest if you lose. Hmm, Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting little thing that, that sort of happens in the background, and, and like civil attorneys know about it, but nobody else really does. Um, so it affects everything. And so you, you've got not just the economy, but the legal system <laughs> is affected <laughs> right. by this calculation problem. Right. It's wild. Yeah, no... Because, yeah, just like it's just that little, you know, just a little ripple. Because a lot of people, you know, most people, and I'm not saying this as like in the latest high, you know, all the plebes are just stupid and dumb. But no, it's very common for a lot of people. It's very hard to think past like second, third order effects, right? Right. Um, Very hard. And a lot of the economy is built of like a lot of the things people see as a, as a, you know, uh, just the state of the world is a, a third and fourth order, if not many, many magnitude more effect from the initial cause right which could be something like raising interest rates or lowering them artificially in in some cases right uh just do those these little ripples that cause massive massive like waves uh later on down the chain that are very hard unless you're like laser focused in on this to like see the actual like uh causality of it 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 is i mean it's 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 what um I've made a habit of saying, which is that people just don't think past the first order effects of a decision. Mm-hmm. They just don't do yeah. it because it's too difficult. Yeah, 
Because eventually, right. like, like uh, uh, these things grow exponentially. The effects of a decision mm-hmm. grow exponentially. So, mm-hmm. so you can't, it's hard for people to think mm-hmm. past the first order effect, but it's, it, it's necessary. Or Yo, maybe, maybe it's necessary to avoid being in a situation where you should be thinking that far ahead. Like, for example, setting the interest rates. <laughs> right. Like, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Maybe the market right. should do that. Yeah. And this is why it's always easy to like, you know, it's very easy to blame like, oh, well, you know, it's this this corporation got greedy. Right. You see this all the time when people blaming inflation for this. Well, this cor- the easiest answer is this corporation. I was, got greedy. Yes, What's I was about to say oh. that's been that's been bandied yeah. about as an explanation for inflation. Right. Exactly. So it, but what they're saying is the price is raised because the com- the company raised their prices. That's all they're saying. It's a tautology. Right. Right. But it doesn't explain why they raised their prices. Uh, you're just recognizing that they did, and you're assuming their intent. Uh, you're not actually explaining why this happened. Uh, there know? are certain companies. It was an interesting thing. The inflation thing, I, I think there might be some truth to it in the sense that there are some companies that have taken advantage of the situation. Because there, oh, were, yes, there were companies. I'm sure, I'm sure there are companies who love it, and they're like, haha, now we have get to raise their prices. There were some that 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 have been posting record profits through this inflationary period. And so so that's the kind of thing where it's like they're taking advantage. But there are some companies that have not. And so there's a a certain point at which it's like there are some companies that are going to jump on the inflation bandwagon to try and take advantage of the fact that inflation is occurring and so we can raise our prices under cover of chicken is also more expensive you know what i mean a hundred percent i'm i'm a hundred percent sure that's happening yeah absolutely but but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's why chicken is more expensive <laughs> right or it doesn't necessarily mean that that's why uh that that's why i mean just any honestly like necessary goods getting more expensive it, it, it's it's a function of this is, as I understand it, this is a function of inflation. As a result of inflation, how we think of it, not 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 greedy mm-hmm. corporations, right? There's no reason right. that a can of soup should be a dollar thirty now as opposed to a dollar. Right, right. There's no reason at all. So, so right. this this and and if you look at those companies. Look at their profit margins. Look at the profits that they're posting. Yeah. If they're posting record also, profits, then then maybe it's, you know, a problem. If they're holding steady year over year, they're just keeping up. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Like if you're a person who's like very critical of like corporations and you know, you I, I think you should be. Yeah. Uh, you should also uh, understand that you should hate uh the inflationary uh system uh that is caused by the Federal Reserve because right. it gives cover to these corporations who are maliciously raising their prices because they think they can, you know, uh get away with it now and they couldn't before. Right. You know, I, I'm not saying that's all of them. I I still think like for a lot of these it really is just like, yeah, they're raising prices because uh there has been an, uh, an inflation of the money in the in the supply chain or right. in, you know in the transactions so there it's obvious they're going to raise prices but as you said there are some people some corporations that might have malicious intent let's say um in in, in raising their prices and because of inflation that also gives them cover absolutely absolutely i find this um 
there was a... So, I was telling you before we started recording. My dad called me right before we started recording. <laughs> and he called me to gloat. Because we were talking about Silicon Valley Bank the other day. I think it was on... Uh, I think it was actually yesterday we were talking about it. And he told me, he said... <clears throat> the FDIC is going to step in and cover everything. And I said, why is that? I mean, everybody knows, everybody who's in these positions knows what the FDIC insurance covers. Why, why should they do that? And he told mm-hmm. me, he said, it's because of who's, who's affected by it. It's venture capital firms. It's, it's startup companies in tech. Like these are, these are things that they're going to protect. And so they're going to step in and cover everything. And I doubted that. I thought it was possible, but I doubted it. Well, it turns out <laughs> today, <laughs> as you were on the phone with him, yeah, exactly. Just like <laughs> the FDIC, he called me this evening and he uh, he said, "Hey, uh, Forbes headline: FDIC says they will insure all deposits from Silicon Valley Bank. Thank you, bye." It's <laughs> <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> shock. <laughs> So it appears that the FDIC is going to cover well, is going to cover all deposits in Silicon Valley Bank. Um, they're they're issuing what was the uh, the insurance cap, and they will be covering everything. And I was talking to him, and I'm th- and I was saying, you know, that's absolutely because of who's affected. Because if it was some, mm-hmm. uh, for example, I, I I bank with a regional bank. In, in Texas and parts of the Southwest. Um, if they went under, the FDIC isn't going to come rescue depositors. At no this way. Bank. Yeah, no way. No. <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance in hell. Despite the fact that many small businesses bank with this bank, despite the fact that, mm-hmm. that this is, I mean, it, it's, it's just a matter of scale and who's affected. There's no venture capital firms affected if my regional... Mm-hmm. Uh, Plains sort of region bank goes under. No one's affected. So it, it's well, no one, no one who they care about is affected. But if it was a regional right. bank in, yeah. let's say, let's say the tri-state or the Beltway, or in this case California, <laughs> yeah. they care. Right. Exactly. I've seen some people like um, uh, read this news story and see like, oh wow, they're they're really you know helping out the you know the average joe right it's like yeah no that's only incidentally incidentally yes. that may be the case but that was not their main motivation here uh, well that's one of the questions too is does the average joe have more than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars right. in a bank account with with silicon right. valley bank i mean that's the thing it's it's yeah it's clear who they're protecting here exactly. it's the venture capital yeah. firms yep yep um i wanted to provide a uh I wanted to provide a, a source for this uh, from it's GeekWire via MSN. I don't understand how MSN handles their republishing. Yeah, yeah, MSN is a little weird. Every time I've like tried to like source their things directly, it's always been a little weird. Uh, but from this story, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation will will quote complete its resolution of Silicon Valley Bank in a manner that fully protects all depositors both insured and uninsured. The Federal Reserve Board announced Sunday afternoon, that's today, as part of a broader plan to shore up U.S. financial system following the bank's sudden downfall. The move is meant in part to reassure startup leaders in Silicon Valley uh, and elsewhere that many of these tech leaders have spent the past four days scrambling for solutions after an extraordinary bank run sparked by loss of confidence 
in Silicon Valley Bank's financial institution. Um, quote, this is definitely a much needed relief, said Kirby Winfield, founding and general partner of Seattle VC firm Ascend. Yeah, it's the VC firm. It's for the VC firms. That's who they're protecting with this. In addition uh, to promising to go beyond the normal FDIC insurance limits of $250,000 per depositor, the Federal Reserve said it would make additional funding available to other banks attempting to contain the fallout from SVB's failure. That move came as regulators closed Signature Bank, a financial institution heavily used by, by the cryptocurrency industry. Now, you brought this to my attention right before we started recording. You said that they mm-hmm. yeah. decided to close another bank um, ahead of time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, from from my understanding is that there's um, uh, they were looking at other banks that had uh, similar incidents like this, that they were like, mm, they're doing very similar things and we <clears> want to just cut this off at the source now. They were sort of looking at the risk profile it. on some yeah. of these banks. And they determined, I guess, that Signature Bank had a risk profile that looked too much like SVBs. Yep. Um... I have a story for that as well, and I'm very glad you brought this to my attention because I was not aware of this. Uh, from CNBC, regulators closed New York's signature bank, citing systemic risk. U.S. regulators on Sunday shut down New York-based signature bank in a bid to prevent the spreading banking crisis. Quote, we are announcing a similar systemic risk exception for signature bank New York, New York, which was closed today by its state chartering authority. Uh, the banking regulator said depositors at Signature Bank will have full access to their deposits. A similar move to ensure depositors at the failed Silicon Valley Bank will get their money back. The regulator shuttered Silicon Valley Bank on Friday and seized its deposits in the largest U.S. banking failures since 2008, yada, yada, yada. Okay. So they're going through now mid-sized, small and mid-sized banks and seeing who's got risk profiles like this. Seeing who's undercapitalized or has the potential to be undercapitalized. Mm-hmm. And they're they're just shutting them down before they have a chance to collapse. Which makes sense because as again, as someone who banks with a small, mid-size, whatever you want to call it, bank, regional bank, I could see a panic sparking. Especially if you bank with a with with someone who makes particular um someone who pays particular interest to the tech sector like silicon valley bank or not silicon um signature bank apparently deals a lot with crypto mhm yeah so i can see that making a lot of people nervous and it being like no i i, I want to pull my money now right right exactly yeah and just precipitating another run not not necessarily because it's necessary but because people are afraid Right, exactly. And then, yeah, if if too many people get afraid, that's how you get, like, run on banks uh, and then a lot of <laughs> unfortunate economic things transpire from that. Now, here's another thing that I thought was funny. Jim Cramer, like a month, <laughs> a month <laughs> before Silicon Valley Bank failed, was telling people to invest in it. Why? Okay, if Jim Cramer says something, uh, you should do the opposite yes. of whatever he's telling you. <laughs> you should, if like if he says that, oh wow, it's going to be a great week next week. Get, hide in your bunker, store food, uh, store supplies, <laughs> uh, hide, buy toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need to, Jim Cramer to do 
I was, I was talking to my dad about it when we were talking about SV, uh, SVB the other day. I, I told him that Jim Cramer had suggested that people invest. And he said, yeah, there's a whole investment strategy that's based on doing the opposite of what Jim Cramer says. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Do you remember uh, when the Wall Street bets thing was going on and Jim Cramer was losing his mind? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that dude is something else. Uh, that's, oh, man. Like, He's the worst. I don't know. I don't know anyone else who is cons- is consistently wrong as he is. Like, there's just something like the universe has just uh, made him a character that everyone knows is. Oh yeah, that's the that's the person you do the opposite of what he says always. <laughs> you tell me what you think about this because this is something I was thinking about too with regard to Jim Cramer, and that is, it seems to me that Jim Cramer, when he was just doing Mad Money on CNN or whatever it was on, I think it was on CNN um, or CNBC, I can't remember now. When he was just doing Mad Money. Nobody really gave a fuck. Like, it was the kind of thing where the advice seemed fine because it was just another guy's investment advice. Like, there's everywhere where someone's selling, someone else is buying, right? So, there has has to be a buyer. So, the, the, the market itself is just made up of people disagreeing on when to buy and when to sell. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so for, for, it seemed that nobody really gave a shit. It seems to me that after the rise of the internet, after the rise of social media and things like that, that's when charlatans like Jim Cramer started to get exposed Uh in a way where it's like prior to everybody being on Twitter or not everybody, but you know what I mean? A a significant portion of the population being on Twitter, being in these places prior to that, nobody really gave a shit. Right, exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but it's like once everybody once everybody's able to collectively get together and make fun of someone <laughs> it's fucking over. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember it, it really is true because like I see like Jim Cramer memes all the time everywhere, even in like normie circle. Uh it's really funny. I think part of it too was when I think part of it's the crypto community too. The crypto community fucking hates Jim Cramer. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> But in any case, that that also occurred. So they're going through and they're shutting down smaller banks that have similar risk profiles that, that look mm-hmm. unsteady. Um, I want to go to I did pull the now this is something I think is very interesting because I haven't seen this really talked about. It was mentioned when I was reading, for example, from the CNBC story, it, it mentioned this, but it's not really being focused on. But it is the focus of the press release. So. For release at 6.15 p.m. Eastern Time today. To support American... This is from the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve. To support American businesses and households, the Federal Reserve Board on Sunday announced it will make available additional funding to eligible depository institutions to help assure banks have the ability to meet the needs of all their depositors. This action will bolster the capacity of the banking system to safeguard deposits and ensure the ongoing provision of money and credit to the economy. The Federal Reserve is prepared to address any liquidity pressures that may arise. The additional funding will be made available through the creation of a new bank term funding program, offering loans of up to one year in length to banks, savings associations, credit unions, and other eligible depository institutions pledging U.S. treasuries, uh, agency debt and mortgage-backed securities, and other qualifying assets as collateral. 
These assets will be valued at par. The FT, uh, I'm sorry, the BTFP will be an additional source of liquidity against high quality securities, eliminating an institution's need to quickly sell these securities in times of stress. With approval of the Treasury Secretary, the Department of the Treasury will make available up to $25 billion from the Exchange Stabilization Fund as a backup for the BTFP. The Federal Reserve does not anticipate it will be necessary to draw on those backup funds. After receiving a recommendation from the boards of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, and the Federal Reserve, Treasury Secretary Yellen, after consultation with the president, approved actions to enable the FDIC to complete its resolutions of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in a manner that fully protects all depositors, both insured and uninsured. These actions will reduce stress across the financial system, support financial stability, and minimize any impact on businesses, households, taxpayers, the broader economy. There's a little bit more, but I'm stopping there. The focus of this, to me, seems to be to prevent what Silicon Valley Bank did before they collapsed, which was a fire sale of their assets, their stock portfolio, (laughs) their their bonds, everything. And I think part of this could be because the 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 auction of SVB's assets was already ongoing today, like they started it yesterday and it was supposed to Mm -hmm. end Monday. And I think they kind of realized there's very few assets here because there was a fire sale of their assets to try and gain the cash they needed to cover withdrawals. So they, they, there's no assets here to auction. There's the real estate. They might have a couple mm-hmm. other portfolios. But outside of that, there's, they, they sold things in an attempt to raise capital. So it seems like it's an attempt to keep that from happening more than anything else. Oh, yeah, that, okay, that makes sense, yeah. Because there's no other, like, right. again, year-long loans, they put up, basically, they put up their portfolios as, ca- as collateral, yeah, and they get a loan from the government, mm-hmm. from the Federal Reserve, but yeah. the difference between the Federal Reserve and the government, so it's a very thin line. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> not hard to pierce that veil. Right. Um, they get a loan from the Federal Reserve in order to... Um, in order to raise capital when there's a run, as opposed to selling their portfolios, and they just put their mm-hmm. portfolios up as collateral. It's it's a it's a it's an interesting system. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it seems like. It, but here's the thing too: it's just another bailout. Right. Exactly. I heard some people saying that this wasn't a bailout. That oh, well, they're not bailing banks no 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 uh, well no well, i mean look the bank is collapsed but it's a bailout for everybody else like it, it's just it's right it's a bailout for the uh right the investors but what oh what what that really means is oh the the big companies right that's the yeah that's who's being found out here it's a bailout for venture capital firms right because they were too fucking dumb to to tell the the companies they were investing in to split the money, <laughs> right? <laughs> and to hire a fucking accountant. Yeah. <laughs> so they were uh-huh. they, they they they're they're bailing out these VC firms and these startup companies and uh, with Silicon Valley Bank it's startup companies but it could be I mean anybody it, with with some of these other institutions if this happens to other institutions like it's it's a bailout. Yeah, yeah. 
And I don't understand how people don't see that. Like, I, I've seen multiple people talking about, like, how, well, no, the, 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 as I said before, they're talking about this as if, well, no, the FDIC, they're just protecting the average Joe. But it's like, as you said before, it's like, how many average Joes have, are over the 250K cap? Uh, in it, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I how mean, many? Uh, when when sixty some percent of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, yeah, I seriously doubt the average Joe has two hundred fifty thousand dollars, uh, two hundred fifty thousand and one dollars in the bank. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, yeah, they're they're just you know trying to protect the average Joe, and they're totally not trying to protect these venture capital firms. No, no, no. That yeah, would, of course that, that would never happen. Yeah, no. Ugh. Who? Uh, why? Why would you even argue that this isn't a bailout? It takes the same form right, exactly. as, the, as the 2008 bailout. It's yeah. a loan, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, I don't know if the um, FVB thing is is in particular a loan. I have a feeling they're just doing that. They're just paying out of pocket for out of pocket in, in air quotes mm-hmm. for that. Because there's mm-hmm. no one to loan the money to because the bank is gone. <laughs> so they're just they're just insuring shit that they said they weren't going to insure. Uh-huh. For SVB. But for, for banks going forward, they'll have access to this loan program. Wouldn't it be great to just be able to spin up a free money program? Oh wow. Yeah, that Nah, don't be crazy. We'd never have that. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is like, like they just it, it was two days ago and they were like <laughs> well, uh, additional funding were made available through the creation of a new bank term funding program. BTFP. They've already got an acronym. <laughs> well, now they're really official. They have yeah. an acronym. <laughs> They just spun this thing up. They were just like, yeah, yeah. we got the extra cash. We'll just spin up a, a loan program for, for stressed banks. Yeah. <laughs> I saw some people saying that this could have been avoided if they didn't go so hard into those long-term bonds that they could have, mm-hmm. they could have been smarter in how they handled the money and yeah. they would not have been undercapitalized when interest rates went back up. But, uh, I mean, look, the, the, they did say that they weren't going to raise interest rates for a long time. Yeah, that, yeah, no, that is true. Yeah. They were like, we're not, they, they said, they had said we're not going to raise interest rates until we see sustained inflation mm-hmm. over 2%. And yeah. then it hit, like, it hit, I think it had to hit 7% for them to actually raise interest rates. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, I mean, can you blame them for making the, the, the investments they made with the information they had? Right, exactly. That, that, that's the whole thing, too, right, is that a lot of times, uh, because, because when you have artificial, uh, like artificial rates like this, it, it, it like scrambles people's ability to plan for the future. Yeah. Uh, because it's so, like, unstable that they can, it's hard for them to properly, you know, plan and invest. Right. You know, Mises has, of course, this whole like uh, analog, like, let's imagine, you know, you're building a house, but the builder is drunk. <laughs> uh, and when he's doing this, so you, you may have he may uh, have a certain amount of, you know, uh, um, bricks and other supplies in order to build the house. But when he act- when, when he actually gets it, he finds that, oh, I purchased way too many bricks <laughs> or I didn't purchase enough bricks. And now, you know, the whole thing, the whole investment was shot. Uh, right. It, it's it's very much like that, where it's like, yeah, 
um, an economy where the, the rates are very subject to change artificially, um, not, not naturally artificially, um, you're going to be in a situation where you're basically uh, the drunk uh, construction worker. Right. Uh, right. It's, it's very, very analogous to that. It's like, yeah, it's very hard just to plan for the future in, the, in these circumstances. And with no warning, too. It's like with with. No, yes, exactly. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I guess I guess if you were really analyzing things, your warning would have been seven percent interest. Right. But <laughs> right. these things occur in the future. <laughs> like you're not right. going to know. um yeah, I mean, they're saying they're not going to do it until we hit two percent interest, but we might not hit two percent interest. I mean, we might. I and, mean, you know, obviously, th- there's always going to be like in, in any economy, investing is always a risk, right? Because your investment might not have a you might turn on investment, of course, right? But right. it's worse when it's an artificial, when it's an artificially created like tumultuous market. Uh, you know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah, when this is artificially uh, um, dangerous, then yeah, that. Uh, it's hard to blame the person who, you know, just doesn't know. It just seems. And can't know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's kind of the reason that, uh, look, I, I, I want to laugh at the tech bros for causing a run on their own uh-huh. bank. I think yeah. that's funny. <laughs> it is really funny. <laughs> but uh, it also doesn't really change the fact that the bank was in a precarious position anyway. Their stock was sliding before this happened. So like they, they, cause they had all these investments in these things that weren't yielding what they were, what, what the market expected at the time. So, so they're, 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 they had a bunch of bad investments and that caused their stock price to tumble. And that's, that triggered the run. And I get that. I, I, I understand that that's what happened, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems to me it, this whole thing is the fault of COVID policies. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally buy that. Because the, the, the I mean, without the monetary policies that that happened during COVID, and in, and afterward, when when inflation did skyrocket, and they started cranking interest rates like crazy, uh, it short of that, would this have would this have occurred? Right. And, you know, this is always the thing about policy. And we, we were talking about this earlier in the show where, like, it's very hard for people to think past first order effects. Right. Um, a lot of the big, uh, like, policy, a lot of the big negative occurrences of, from COVID are, are not immediately observable. And they won't be even. Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like a lot of people think that. Well, and that's not to diminish, you know, the, the awfulness of the lockdowns themselves. But it's just to say that there's a lot more, like economic and social ramifications that will come later down the line because of that. Yeah. Yeah. That people just have not experienced yet. Oh yeah. This will be a thing that people look back on as if it were 2008, like, like the way that people, if you remember sort of the, um, the mood on the forums and on, and on like Reddit, when the GameStop stonks thing was happening, uh-huh. Yeah. The one of the one of the commenters said something that's that has stuck with me. And it was they said um this is for my dad. He lost his house in 2008. Mm. And like he was he was basically going through saying fuck the hedge funds, fuck yeah. the banks. I'm not here because I think GameStop is worth anything. I'm yeah. here to fuck you. 
Yeah, it's not about the money. It's about sending a message. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, what was the famous uh, rallying cry? We can remain retarded longer than they can remain solvent. Exactly, uh, dude. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that yeah. that that has stuck with me in a way that I, I people will. <clears throat> the more they do stuff like this, I think the more that kind of attitude grows. Yeah, and I I love that. Like I love oh, the yeah. whole. That whole time on the internet was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, I mean, here's the thing, though. When they start fucking with interest rates, it's terrible for the people who get fucked by it. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know what I mean? Like, like there's, there's people who bought 100%. houses at the peak. Mm-hmm. When in the, in the, uh, in like 2022, early 2022, there were people buying houses at that time. And it's like, your investment just, if you see your house as an investment, which you fucking shouldn't, because the whole market's a goddamn... Uh, anyway. But there were people who have lost a shitload of money just because their, their, yeah. the, the, the value of their house has dropped precipitously. And oh, yeah. they're spending way more on their mortgage than, their sh- than they should be, yeah. given the market now. Yeah. And even, like, basic supplies. Uh, yeah. Oh, sure. That's not even, that's not even counting in the, the, the inflationary effects. Right. It's a, it's a, oh man. It's, it, it's just wild to me that it's one of those things where it's like, I, I think people who are like more economically, uh, or inclined or like, uh, or observers of the economy, uh, at the very least, uh, can see like, Hey, this is really bad, but no one seems to care. Uh, like everyone is just like distracted by something else and you know it's almost like there's this big train coming and you're on the train tracks yep. and everyone is arguing over to which radio station to switch on and hey there's a train coming right for us and it's like well yeah hold on hold on. it's like oh it's it's really aggravating ta- talking about this sometimes with it Norman's. really is and the <laughs> other the other again like i said it's fun to laugh at at tech bro if you hear any thunking by mm-hmm. the way my upstairs neighbor's running their washing machine and it's unbalanced oh, and i can I hear it hear <laughs> <laughs> it might come through in the audio um but the the it, again it's fun to laugh at the tech bros for causing running their own bank but just like that this the, the only thing the thing that really bit them was the covid policies yeah yep that's what that's what caused that's what precipitated this this problem Right. And now they're just shutting banks down. Now they're going through and like, and which here's the thing. It could be that this bank was fucking doomed. Yeah. So, so their decision to shut it down might be totally rational and good. Right. Like it it could have been that this bank was absolutely gonna crash. Um, and that could be the case for a lot of mid-sized banks. Again, this kind of thing can cause, there's a reason that, that they measure consumer confidence in economics. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to quantify, but they try their mm-hmm. best because it's ultimately what matters. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, and so <laughs> if everybody loses faith in their mid-sized bank, the cascading effect of that could be monstrous and, and unnecessarily so. Right. It's it's very interesting when you have these types of things where like uh, what holds the system together a lot of times is trust. 
And it, it, it's really interesting that, you know, when you see that trust start to break down in real time, the yep. system just collapses. You know, you know, I remember when we had Ted on for the episode and we were how corporations are egregores. It, 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 a lot of things like very much do seem that way, where it's like if, if everyone just stops believing in it, then it, it does have like actual physical ramifications. Yeah, it's trust um, and it's faith. Yes. Like, yes. Like faith in the existence of this thing. Yep. Um, it's a it's a very interesting sort of, but that applies, I think, to most of the modern world. Like, I agree, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I don't think there's very much of a gap between that and like you know the, the cops and and the, oh, not the, at all. Yeah, I think it's all but yeah, like the 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 traffic signals. I mean, those things operate on faith. Right. I mean, that, that's a network that's held together right. with duct tape and bailing wire. The internet. Is a network yeah. that's held together with duct tape and bailing wire. It up, op- it operates on faith alone. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, faith yeah. Like on the street, like, you, yeah. You just have to trust that you know when that red light pops up, that the other person is going to respect the red light the same way you're respecting the red light. You know, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's all. Yeah. It's uh, it's which I think speaks to two things. I mean, it speaks to human the human capacity for cooperation in one mm-hmm. way. Yeah. I think it also speaks to the fact that you can make up anything and, and yeah, if you get you, enough people easy, to believe it. Yeah. It's very easy to like dupe people into like believing anything as long as they're pretty comfortable, uh, you know, believing it as long as, you know, believing it delivers uh, comfortable results for people. They'll be like, yeah, this is good. This is fine. You know, there's no, there's no, in, there's no incentive to question it because it right, happens exactly. to be working. Right. Or and this is like the big working. hurdle for this is always the big hurdle for people who have ideologies outside the norm. Because it's like, OK, well, maybe you are correct. But why am I going to re- why would I want to be correct if it means, you know, my whole family is going to starve or something like that? Right? Sure. You know what I mean? Or We're going to rock the boat to such an extreme level that all you know, it, it's, you know, my my future, my family's future is much more at risk. Right. And obviously, I think there are good responses to that. But it is certainly a hurdle when you're trying to talk to like people who are normies. Well, that was kind of the William Godwin argument about education right. is the idea that right. that people are so um, <clears throat> that people are only so dependent upon institutions like the state because they are ultimately too uneducated to take responsibility for themselves. That if they, right. and that doesn't mean that yeah. everyone's an idiot. It, it means more that like, they just don't know how. Right. And also it, it's just like, in some sense you could make a division of labor case where it's like, yeah, they're, they're, you know, offshoring their own conscience to this other group where they right. just, you know, do all these things. And, you know, I can sit here and not have to think about the moral consequences of, you know, the thing I'm supporting because these other people are doing it and, you know, uh, I'm reaping the benefits. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. The, 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 the incentives yeah. for it make perfect sense. The problem is the thing yeah. itself sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Like it, it, it makes total sense that you would want to offload that, especially, I mean, not even, even evolutionarily, the, the yeah. thinking is a lot of work. I mean, physically, right. like, like the, the, the amount of caloric burn that occurs when you're thinking and thinking hard mm-hmm. is, is it's, it's much more than you think. If you haven't, if you haven't read about that, it, it's, mm-hmm. it is much more than you think it would be. And, 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 and so, especially when you're thinking of, 
uh, like volatile topics, like you know, am I a good person if I do this? That type of thing. Right. That, that also, adds, you know, that adds on another layer. Yeah, and it becomes, and so we're sort of, you know, we're 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 inclined to reduce our energy expenditure, and so it yes. makes sense that we would want to offload a lot of that thinking to other people. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, it, it's much like you know how the division of labor. Uh, in the same sense, right? So, like, uh, um, Marx, his whole critique, right, is that the Marxist critique of like uh, the division of labor, in some sense, is that yeah, we, you know, th- there's a certain level where think we're more productive, but alienation occurs, right, where right. each person feels as if they are not really contributing to the final product in any substantial way, right? No um, ownership. They don't while, feel any while, ownership over any of the pro- exactly. any of the production. Right, exactly. So while it's true that, you know, the production is increased, people just don't feel as responsible for it. And this is seen as like a critique of uh, like uh, just capitalist uh, labor uh, interactions. But um, another way to view it also is that um, it, the division of labor in the production of evil or immoral things uh, is also um, highly seductive because it means that you feel less responsible for the actual product of this, of whatever action it is, mm. right? So if I am so if I'm going around like uh, in the same way that the the production of evil is more, it's both more efficient if a lot of different people are dispersed in their production of it. Uh, it's also better because none of them feel directly responsible for it. Right. So if, if you're just the person who loads the Jews onto the train car, well, you know, you don't really feel responsible for killing them. You just loaded them onto the train car. And the, then the next guy comes yeah. and then he's driving the train car. And then he, 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 you know, he, uh, he just made, and maybe there's another guy who, loads them none of them really feel responsible for the final product uh necessarily right but they were all instrumental in the final product the, necessarily. the, the sort of linking the just following orders defense with sort of marxian alienation theory which right. does have meat to it like I, 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 there's again there's something there's a consistent thing we've talked about on the show which is that the the commies tend to really really do a good job identifying symptoms <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't think I don't think Marx is wrong when he's saying that. Yeah, there. Yeah, it, it's certainly true that in the division of labor, the person like if I'm if I'm just like responsible for producing a certain cog into making a toaster, right? Um, this is both more efficient uh, in, in terms of the the production of toasters, but I personally don't have the satisfaction of making my own toaster, which would be very hard. Is like demonstrate by like oh, a massive pain in the ass. Like that, of course, but but it's true that I would gain sat. I would feel a sense of responsibility for it. Um, uh, I wonder I think if that's there's true. I wonder if there's a link between that and sort of the DIY sort of drive. I'm I'm sure there is. I'm I'm oh yeah, absolutely. Cuz there is a yeah. certain level of satisfaction even if you make something like even if you DIY something that's not as good as it could be if you had just bought it. You know, if you had just bought like a mid-tier yeah. version of the thing you just built, you saved a lot of mm-hmm. money building it yourself and you got to build something. There's a level of satisfaction in that that I think might link up with that idea in a way. Yeah, I 100% think that there's a meat to that. Yeah, 100%. And it would also explain uh, why some people I, don't have that drive. They don't they don't feel that satisfaction. They don't have that. They're, they're, yeah. they're, I mean, most people are not DIY type people. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's hard to be universal about it, right? Because you can't speak to everyone's experiences. But it's like I, I think that certainly from the ones who do, I think there's a certain Venn diagram overlap 
people who do DIY, who are like hyper focused on DIY projects so that they can feel that sense of satisfaction. I know uh, I somewhere. do. Like, maybe, well, yeah, there's a yeah, certain, me too. I, 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 yeah. there's a certain level of satisfaction in like bypassing the corpo shit too, where it's just like, Oh yeah. hundred percent. Like uh, I, I can, I, I, and, and we've had requests to talk about this, about how to build like, build a server Mm -hmm. and link it up with security cameras that go to your server that you can link to and see on an app on your phone that that's all locally controlled. You don't have to mess with Amazon giving it to the cops. You don't have to mess with anything. um, There's, there's a, there's a level of satisfaction in building a system like that where you're just like, yeah, fuck you, Amazon. Fuck you cops. I've got my own thing. I built it. Yeah. Oh, that there's certainly satisfaction to that. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I think, you know, there's uh, I, I don't think that like alienation theory is necessarily wrong. I, I don't think it's a it's an I ultimately don't think it's an argument to say that, well, that's why we can't have, you know, the division of labor. But I just see it as like a down, uh, you know, one of those incidental downsides to it. Right. Like, yeah. That, that, you know, that's just the cost of it is that we're much more productive, but each person doesn't feel as responsible for the ultimate outcome. And I think you that in discussing that with like more uh, moral uh, actions. I that's certainly the cause. I think that's certainly why it's hard to convince people that democracy is wrong. Yeah. Uh, is because each person in a democratic system does not feel that they were the efficient cause of any immoral action. Um, even if, you know what I mean? It's very um, easy to dilute and, your responsibility for an outcome if the outcome is bad. Exactly. Right, exactly. It's like, look, uh, and, and my, I'm not making the argument here that every person who votes is like an immoral monster. I'm, I don't believe that. I'm not. But I do think it's interesting that even if we assumed that was the case, I think it'd still be very hard for people to accept that just because I think that uh, people would be like, well, I was just one vote. Well, it's everyone was just one vote. Right. Uh, but but it was still, you know, an instrumental part of the ultimate outcome. In um, the aggregate, your one vote was the sort of uh, in the aggregate, every one vote is the deciding vote. <laughs> Like, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's just I I think that it's it's very because I I think for a lot of people and again, this is just me generalizing, but I I think it's true that for a lot of people, um, they don't want to just, you know, um, it's not just about like offshoring responsibility in production of labor, but also I think of moral reasoning and of moral actions, because if I don't have to be involved. This moral theory about like what is right and and just let those people in Washington decide what is right and what is wrong, then I'll know my place and I can just adapt to that easier. Um, I think that's true for a certain segment. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing. I'm not trying to make a highly detailed argument to support my position, but it's a hypothesis. Um, I, I think that's certainly true for a lot of people where it's like, yeah, my, I'm just structure my life around offshoring as much moral uh, calculation as possible to others. Um, and look, I, I think that makes, as you're saying, I think that makes evolutionary sense a lot. Right. I think it makes sense why that is the case. I think you're, um, I, I think that is absolutely correct because the, just like, just like we were talking about before, the, the amount of energy that goes into thinking about shit like that is mm-hmm. it's astronomical. And, and that's why division of labor works is because we're kind of programmed to reduce the energy that we put into a final product. Right. Right. So it makes perfect sense that that people would sort of gravitate toward a system by which they could do that more easily. But as you said, the the, the problem becomes 
it's very, very easy to offload the moral, com- uh, the complications and 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 consequences of it also those that, kinds of decisions. Yeah, and it also makes that would also fit and make sense why people are much more likely to be violent in group scenarios than they would be in uh, solo scenarios. Now, yeah, the, the, the whole madness of crowds kind of thesis, right? Right, exactly. On, on one hand, you could say, well, that's because each person is less likely to be injured in a crowd versus if they were just actions. And that's absolutely true. But I feel like there, there's also a mental uh, thing as well. Like, um, if they do something wrong, they can just say, I was just one person in that. I right. was just, you know, I was just in the crowd. That's what, you know, that's what was going on. That's what was happening. Um, whereas if they were the only person do come action then they would feel the full brunt of their action right uh, i just, I just happen to be person. there i'm not responsible for this right yeah exactly exactly it's the i it's very close to the i'm just following orders but in this sense it's just i'm just a part of the crowd yeah um, well we see that too yeah. with with things like uh i mean we talked about the timer nichols case uh a couple episodes ago yep. we talked about there's that yep. There's that example of the police who left the woman handcuffed in the vehicle on the railroad tracks. Yes. And not yes. one of those officers thought, you know, we ought to move that car. It's parked on the tracks. <laughs> right. Which is, a, which is generally a bad idea. You don't park a vehicle on the railroad tracks. Everybody knows this. Yeah. But not one of them thought yeah. we should move the car. Right. And I, I would think that that ties into this because not one of them thought it was their responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. It makes that makes yeah that makes total sense. And the and the mm-hmm. the consequences are absolutely devastating to humanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know this is uh I'm not one of these people who are like you know uh you know oh monarchy is great just democracy uh, that sucks people. But I, I do think there's a certain argument which I buy that, well, at least in a monarchy, everyone can point to the king and say, hey, that guy's a fucking asshole. Let's go kill right. him. <laughs> you know, if there's a single guy you can point to as the root of all evil, it becomes yeah. much, much easier. Actually, that's a point that <laughs> it's funny you say that. That's a point that Patrice O'Neill made. Um, <laughs> Patrice O'Neill was talking about uh, race relations. I mean, he, he, he said if white people could just find a guy to point at. That could be the root of all the bad shit white people have done to black people. Black people huh. would be totally cool with white people because we could just hate that one guy. And right, exactly. There's, there's I, a lot of truth to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you know you can unite around that common enemy, and it also by uniting around that common enemy, you if if that guy is just responsible for all the shitty things, even if it's not true, but if we can just blame him for all the shitty things then it can kind of take, you know, some of the heat off of us uh, in that moment. Um, well, it's sort of the, things that, yeah. it's sort of the, on the other side of though, of that observation, which I think is objectively accurate, the observation itself on the other side of that observation, though, you have the, and then one day for no reason at all, Hitler was elected to the, <laughs> to oh, the chancellorship and stuff like that. Like, like you have the right. kind of situation where people try to make excuses then for the bad actor because exactly. well all these other things precipitated it and it's like well yeah it's true that that the victors of world war one purposefully tried to destroy the german economy and succeeded in doing so but that doesn't excuse 
gassing juice <laughs> like those aren't right right exactly <laughs> yeah whenever someone tries to make these kind of like apologetic uh argumentate um, arguments about like well you know yeah th- he did a lot of bad things but you know i mean given the <laughs> circumstances uh you know uh, and also have you seen these other bad people over here they're really have you seen all the things, the bad things they do? It's like, yes, I agree. Those people are very bad. Now, back to the issue about, you know, gassing Jews. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, back on topic now. The crimes of Israel, yeah. all right, are not justification. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I wish I still had my Kanye soundboard. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on the whole Jew thing. There we go. I still have a little bit of it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's such a weird. This is one of the the implications that I think is one of the things that falls out of the sort of worldview that. And you tell me if you think I'm wrong about this because I've had this thought for a very long time. I actually argued to the professor about this when I was an undergrad. Um. I don't think that there is such a thing necessarily as pure altruistic humanity. Um, I think altruism is the term that we apply to the net positive effects of people behaving self-interestedly. I think there's a, there's, there's a net positive that happens because people are a pro-social animal. The human is a, is a pro-social animal. I think there's no such thing as pure altruism. Outside of, I should say, outside of situations like, well, no, because that's still self-interested. If a mother sacrifices herself, for example, to save her child, that's still out. That's still like she has a personal interest in doing that. You know what I mean? I I think this comes down to like what people define as altruistic, because it's like for you to be interested for for you to care about something else. You first have to be a thing that has an interest, right? Right. Um, so that I mean, I, I see that case, but I, I think that when most people use altruistic, I don't think that's what they mean. Do you know what I mean? Like when most people talk about altruism, they're making this the the distinction between um, caring only about uh, like specifically about something that directly benefits you. And while uh, I, certainly when you do things, uh, if you say, "Well, I'm doing thing for the person." I'm also getting the benefit. I think it, it ultimately depends on like where you feel the strongest. Like for example, um, a person may uh, like if jumps on a grenade um, uh, to save like your your uh, other soldiers or something. Um, you could say that well, he he jumped on the grenade because he had an interest in their in their lives continuing. Right. Right. Um, I still think people would say that is still an altruistic act because they would contrast that by a selfish act of him not jumping a grenade uh, of wanting to of wanting his own life to continue over that of someone else's. So I, I feel like it ultimately come just comes down to like how people are the term. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, what I mean, like, no, I get it. I 100 percent understand that. That's why I say pure altruism is like self-sacrifice with no self-interested sort of angle to it at all. Um, I just don't think that's real. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of, whenever someone makes a claim, I always try to think of examples to try to like, hmm, sure. how, how, how can Absolutely. I, yeah. Uh, I, 
I think it's, hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm not sure if I would say that someone having an interest is the same thing as having a self-interest. Do you know what I mean? Because if, okay. an, if all interest is self-interest, then I'm not sure, like, why we would make the distinction in the term itself. Sure. Okay. I can see that. I can see that. So maybe, all, maybe the, the issue then is that... Interest. Maybe the issue uh, but, then but, is that where yeah. people define altruism very broadly, I'm defining self-interest very broadly. Yeah, I, th- I think it might be a mix of both, right? Because right. I, I think, like, if, if you're saying, like uh like well they have an interest in it I, I it's like saying that like well i care about this thing but that's and then you could say well you have an interest in caring about it but it's like well, well yes but that does, i i think when most people talk about altruism they're 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 defining it altruism is an interest in other it, um and uh self interest well, i should say self interest is an interest self so you could say that i do this i do x or y because it's going to be a benefit to me versus i'm going to do this thing for this other person because i enjoy because i may gain some happiness ultimately and the happiness i gain is uh, incidental now i think if um i think that then there's a case to be made then the argument would then shift to well is the benefit you get the main priority of you helping them. Do you know what I mean? Are that you makes helping sense. them just because you, so that's then the debate would then shift to there. Okay. That makes sense. I, 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 I feel the need to explain I think it links because in, in my view at least, and I, and I, again, I could be totally wrong about this, but in my view, if, if altruism, pure altruism were the powerful human urge that a lot of, there's, there's a common humanist argument that altruism is like a human urge, right? That it's that it's part of our fabric as a as an evolutionary being, pure altruism, and I'm, I'm, they don't really make allowances for, I suppose, the broad definition of self interest that I would use to describe, mm-hmm. like, well, it makes me feel good to help this person, uh, so it's not like I'm not doing it for myself a little bit at least. Um, the, the the if if pure altruism were a human, a true human drive. I don't see how what we've been talking about thus far, this, this evolutionary need to offload responsibility for decision-making uh, to people who make terrible decisions. Um, I don't see why uh, that would win or that would be so successful thus far. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah I, I think there's certainly, I think when people try to make the argument that uh, I don't, I don't buy into the idea that most people are, but I also don't buy bad i think I, I think it's it's fair to say most people do have a self-interest in survival and sure. i think that the, the vast majority of people who like acquiesce under like let's say state rule or authoritarian rule of any kind i think they do it because they've been made comfortable enough at the very as to not want to rock the boat um, right because even if you want to say that well we want to get from point a to point b a lot of times what will happen is that there'll be talks of revolution because it's like well Things suck right now, but um, in the intermediate area between things, uh, you know, maybe getting better, things might suck a lot more. So, you know, I, I'd prefer not to rock the boat because, you know, I, you know, I have a family, I have kids to feed. You sort know, of the yada, devil yada. you know. Um, right, exactly. Devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Um, so most people, I think, just kind of acquiesce to the system they live under. And that makes logical sense. Of I don't course, think people yeah. are like being irrational, of course, like that. I think they're wrong, but I don't think they're like uh, not making sense. It also um, makes sense insofar as there's a little bit of danger in in, in rocking that boat, like uh, especially oh, considering He's like yeah. depending upon the system that you live under, rocking that boat could be a, a very real problem for you. 
Um, oh, yes, absolutely. And at least, I mean, we, we've seen with some of the January 6th stuff that's come out very, very recently. Um, did you see any of this news that, that, the, that Tucker Carlson uh, showed video that had not been turned over to the defense team of some of the January yes. 6th defendants? Yes. And, and it was video that the state had of, um, it was particularly uh, the QAnon shaman, whose name I forget, Chancey, Chancery, yeah. I think his name, I forget. Um, but he, he was being like escorted around the building by cops. Yeah. He was let in. Yeah. And, and this was video that was not turned over to the, according to the defense, this was video that was Uh not turned over to them. That's, that is a massive, massive Brady violation. But if you're living under a system where they're willing to impede your rights as a defendant by not turning over exculpatory evidence, it becomes all the more dangerous to rock the boat. Right. Right. And and that's the kind of thing that's the kind of, I just thought of that as an illustration of that idea that, you know, it, it, depending on where you are, it can be very dangerous yeah. to I, to even yeah. think about fighting it. Absolutely. And well, I think it's certainly true that, you know, there are certainly times when not rocking the boat, it does turn out to be the smarter decision. Right. Oh, there, sure. there, there are certainly stories where rocking the boat ends up, you know, committed like it ends up causing or causing in a loose sense very bad things to occur afterwards um but but again in favor of it also um it's also like well if no one ever rocked the boat humans would never be have left caves and trees you know what i mean that type of thing so it's always like there's always a you know case by case type of basis you have to like view these things through well we've Um, we've we've spoken about it before uh but it's kind of the thing where it's like people don't really become very comfortable with the idea of rocking the boat until something very important to them is in danger exactly until it's why you often see revolutions when people are either when like people are starving uh or very poor in general uh people feel like they have less to lose Right, in, in these right. situations, so they're more likely to, you know, if you're attacking uh, people's, gun, then, yeah, if you're yeah. attacking people's livelihood, if you're attacking their family, if you're attacking their religion, that's when people yeah. will will start to sort of become right. very comfortable with the idea of lopping off right. heads. Well, it's like if you're if you're a state, right? If you're thinking like a state, you want your population to be fairly comfortable. You want them to be well fed. Uh, you want them to have a, a fairly good standard of living relative to the surrounding you know, territory that they occupy. Right. Uh, because obviously you don't want them to, you know, revolt. It, it's like, you know, if you're, you want, you want your animals. If, if. Thing, uh, you know, it's going to be a very bad situation. Right. Right. You don't want, you don't want people to become uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> Where yeah. they're constantly chafing under whatever system you've put in place. Right. It makes perfect sense. Um, I, do not have, I do not have anything further on SVB. Do you have anything you'd like to uh, bring no, up about that it? Was, uh, that was basically it for the uh, SVB. Yeah, I, I don't have... I, I think we've talked about all we can talk about yeah. at this current time about it. Right. The, the, I, I thought, like I said... My dad called me to gloat. I thought it was, I thought it was sort of, I, I did not expect that the FDIC was going to jump in and ensure everything. I <laughs> yeah, thought for sure yeah. they would say no. <laughs> right. But I, I mean, I guess, I guess the bailout is just a thing that happens now. I, yeah. I, I feel like people have almost become accustomed to it. It's like, oh yeah, well, it comes. <laughs> 
because I mean, that, that's following 2008. I, I guess that's just a thing that everyone's like, yeah, we got to do it. Got to bail yeah. them out. They fucked up. We got to bail them out. Wall Street? Where, where are they? You oh, know? Yeah. Where did they go? <laughs> One of the things that fascinates me, Occupy Wall Street. I don't know if you if you saw this evolution happen, but Occupy Wall Street is now like a five hundred one c three with lawyers. Like they're a yes, corporate structure. It is. Yeah, it's it like, blows my mind, oh. dude. Because I there was a many years ago. I was watching an interview with an attorney who was mm-hmm. a an attorney for Occupy Wall Street TM. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and it, it, it kind of broke my brain for a second because I was like, what? how the fuck does like a populist uh, movement against corporate interests become so corporate that they have in-house counsel? Right. <laughs> like, it yeah, blew my yeah, mind. Exactly. You know, you see this a lot where like these... Um, uh, these decentralized movements of, of sort um, sort of get uh, taken over by these people jumping in front of a proverbial parade where, they can't, you know, they just act like they're leading the whole thing. Um, you saw this with like Black Lives Matter, you know, you have a, a disparate group. I don't mean to say disparate in the sense of small, but disparate in the sense of like sort of like these decentralized individuals together um, to protest a certain like societal um, issue that they see. But then you also have these grifters at the top who then start, you know, uh, almost like um, having the name brand corporatized and then right. a- a- acting as like the leaders of the movement when really they just like declared themselves. The yeah, yeah. They uh, have the right to speak for all these people. BLM's yeah. a great example where they just like ran off with the treasury. And it's yeah, like, yeah. like it, it's just gone. Like the national BLM organization, the, the corporate right. pseudo corporate structure that existed is, is just gone now because the people at the top just ran off with the money. Right. It's, uh, it's, you, you also, get, I mean, you get this problem in every movement, right? It's like libertarianism. It, it's where you, uh, you know, you have all these people who, uh, you know, talk about libertarianism, but then it, once, if you get like some person in the libertarian party, then that's all everyone looks at. And then they don't really, you know, then they can just point at some dumb thing someone in the LP said. And then that's what people see as libertarian. Uh, we've talked. Ongoing. Yeah, we've talked about this. And here's the thing I, I, I've wanted to talk to you about this for a little bit. So actually, mm-hmm. I might be teasing a different episode because I think we've gone on a bit long to get into it now because this will be okay. a multi hour conversation on its own. But we've talked about this a little bit with sort of Deleuze. And the oh, idea right. of of like capturing yes, yeah, where the 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 sort of institutional system that that yeah. whatever movement grows up as a rebellion against this institutional system ends up being captured by the system. Yes, that yep, absolutely, yeah. It's a it's a fascinating thing. I want to do an episode on that because we had a long many yeah. uh, at this point a couple of years ago. We had a long conversation about the lose and yes. and sort of where all that connects. And I, I, I've wanted to do an episode on that for a while. Yeah, I, I, I think that's great. I, I've uh, yeah, I, I would love to do like a big Deleuze episode again. I, I think that'd be great. All and right. Talk about that issue in particular. Well, consider that a tease for a future episode then. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I've hit, I, I've, I, I have nothing else. Do you have anything else, sir? Nope. That was my, that was the main thing uh, I, I wanted to talk about tonight. So yeah. 
All right. Abs- all right. Well, we've gone almost two hours, so I feel okay about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, all right. We've met our quota listeners. Exactly. Please be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we release an hour long episode, <laughs> we hear <Yeah>. about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, okay. Well, then let's do plugs. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Ace Art underscore Arcus on Twitter and Ace Arcus at Substack.com. Those are my plugs. Uh, any news on the upcoming piece on Substack? Um, I should have a smaller piece coming out in a couple weeks, and then the big piece, uh, I'm not going to give a date because I've done that multiple times, but it's still coming. Okay, good. All right, that's excellent. <laughs> you learned your lesson on the, on the date. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, It'll be out when it's out. Yes. That is when it's out. It's yeah. ready when it's ready. We get there when we get there. Um, yeah, yeah. It's the way to be. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, Pacing Joska, J-O-U-S-K-A on Twitter. Uh, that's all I've got. Um, uh, like I said, I'm, 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 I'm studying now for another exam, so that'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. Uh, <laughs> The waiting is the worst part, honestly. Just waiting on oh, results dude, I, is the fucking... I hate waiting for results in anything. It is the absolute worst, because it's all Ugh. I can think about, and I'm very bad at, like, finding things to distract distract myself from, like, worrying, and, like, just the, the constant, you know, uh, just the waiting game. It, it, that That is the worst part for me for anything. Yeah. Absolutely sucks. Um, I'm sure you did fine. Like, I'm sure you... Like, yeah, I would not... I would not worry about it in your case, but I'm hypocritical, so so if I was in the same position, i like, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I'm pulling my hair out. <laughs> Much like yeah, that, no, yeah. yeah. Um... All right, man. Well, uh, excellent. Thank you all for listening. Later, guys. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of The End Times Continue. For links and other information, come see us at TETC.show.